You're listening to the Refraining Ministries podcast, providing help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through pain. We're so glad you're joining us for the second part of our discussion. Well, Florida is a state of mandatory minimum sentences, and so we instantly knew what the the sentence would be because the death penalty had been removed earlier. Mm -hmm. It was Jason's first and only offense of his life. The prosecutor knew it would be very hard to get the death penalty, and that was taken off the table. And uh, Jason was asked to stand again, and the judge said, I sentence you, Jason Paul Kent, to live out the rest of your natural life in a Florida state penitentiary without the possibility of parole. And the gavel once again came down. And we watched our son be put back in handcuffs and a waist chain. I don't think I have ever experienced the kind of sorrow I felt that night. The TV cameras were zooming in on the grieving mama, trying to put microphones in front of our faces, and we couldn't even speak. And I saw Jason be ushered toward the exit, and he looked back one more time. And I I just mouthed, I love you, son. And uh, we got back to April's house, and basically, when you're in too much pain, Mm -hmm. all you can do is hold each other Mm -hmm. and weep. You can't even speak. Um, you can't, Carol, I've been in your shoes, not, not the same, but I have had, um, I've been part of a criminal trial and had to testify and, and having second guessed everything, everything, everything that was said, um, for my son and then come to find out you get a piece of paper that says, you know, for you, it was a guilty sentence. For my son, it was a different issue when he was little. Yes. And you, there aren't any words, I don't think, because we're, we're taught to believe the court system will make all this right or the jury will make this right. Nothing in Scripture says that we will have justice on this earth. No. No, it doesn't. And sometimes we think we're owed that. Of course. And we forget that suffering was part of the process for Jesus, and it will be part of the process for those of us who know and love him because we live in a fallen world. Well, two hours went by and the phone rang, and it was Jason. He had been taken back to the jail. And uh, he said, Mom and Dad, I, I was taken back to the the jail, and the news of my conviction and sentence had already gotten there. And he said, uh, they brought me back to the faith-based area of the jail. And keep in mind, Jason was now the cell coordinator in that part of the jail. He'd been there so long. And many maximum security inmates had come to faith in Christ. And he said, these big old maximum security inmates were weeping. And they said, Jason, if a man like you got a sentence like that, man, there is no hope for us. There's no hope. And he said, God gave me the ability to stand up and preach. And he said, I said, man, if we walk in freedom in this lifetime or in the next, we will still one day walk in freedom if we know Jesus. And Colleen, it was at that moment that I knew my son was going to be okay. I knew he would would make it. And two hours later, they took him to a, a capital life area. And eventually he was taken to the Central Florida Reception Center. Sounds like a resort, it's not. 
it's <laughs> it, you have to find the humor or you break in two. I know. I get it totally. <laughs> it, it's where they test you to see where you fit in the penal system in Florida. And less than half of 1% of all Florida inmates have university degrees. So you can imagine they don't exactly have a placement program for U.S. Naval Academy graduates. They probably don't. And one in 100 Americans have been incarcerated, which is another statistic that was very surprising to me. It's shocking. And it's, it's a secret nobody talks about when their relatives are incarcerated. We always think we'll be judged. And well, I just want to give people permission to say out loud what you're going through and let's help each other. Oh, Jason- exactly. I want to interrupt you on that because I came across something today that I thought, I've got to bring this into our talk. And it's on shame and on stigma. And the person said there are three parts to stigma. Feelings beliefs and behaviors when we look at someone and we place our feelings on them or behave in a different way towards them or say things or think things that may not be them at all we run and they run and the shame that covers certain sins who was ever defining that besides God I think he's the only one who is able to they're all the same. So we need to talk about all the struggles. They're all the same. Well, I think that is an important life lesson that we need to tell people again and again. And I think once people understand that there might be one or two people who raise an eyebrow or who decide that you will no longer be in their friend circle, and that's okay. Right. And what you will discover is that the majority of people will come to you, put an arm around you, listen to you, and encourage you. And then in turn, they'll share what they're going through. And arm in arm, you will find that you have more support than you've ever known before when you take the risk to be the real deal. Yeah, And I, I just cannot preach that little message enough because I think it is so vital that we say out loud what we're going through and that we don't hide it anymore. Hiding is a scary place to be because you never know who, who knows your secret. And you, and you keep trying to cover it up with things yes, that, yes. that don't work and everybody else can see that you're uncomfortable. Just say it, speak it, be it. Mm. It's, it's and, okay. I wanted to ask you, because I heard you say, I like myself now more than before. Yes. But that involved a lot of loss because you wrote, looking back on the beginning of our crisis, I'm now able to see how much power is released when we're in the middle of totally unexpected circumstances that cannot be reversed. As days became weeks, weeks became months, Jean and I began to uncover hidden treasures in our unthinkable circumstances. And you listed six of them. The world is a mess. We need to ask for help. Everything is trivial. And that's it. It's trivial. Control is an illusion. That's the hard one. (laughs) We are humbled through humiliation. Affirm or reject our faith. I mean, those things are transforming. If we can just personalize that, it is so important. And I I talk a lot with people about how important it is to relinquish 
what we love most. That might be a person, it might have to do with a situation, or it might be a job or a ministry position. Relinquish what you love most uh, and let God deal with it. In my case, as I unpried my own fingers and just said, God, take my son. I, I cannot control the situation anymore. There was such a freedom that came with this. And then we started to realize that God was putting on our hearts now that our son had this life without parole sentence and he was only 25 years old, that we would be spending the rest of our natural lives going to prison visitation. We would be standing in line with other spouses or uh, with, with children who were visiting their incarcerated loved one. And we started to see this whole world of needs that we had never been aware of before. Colleen, I am not proud to tell you that when my son was arrested, I didn't think I even knew another person who had an incarcerated loved one. But again, it's because it's the secret nobody tells. And then we started to see uh, these, these wives and moms who were penniless. They were functioning as single parents because a spouse was incarcerated. And these young children were there going to, to visit their daddies. And we, we said, what can we do to help these people? Then we had Jason on the inside who knew the needs of the inmates. And we realized that many of these inmates no longer have supportive families who put any money in their inmate accounts for the basics of personal hygiene items, uh, for postage stamps, or for an occasional candy bar. Nobody cares anymore. And we discovered that the average number of years a lifer, like our son, even gets visits is five years before nobody comes anymore and nobody cares. So we prayerfully launched the nonprofit organization, Speak Up for Hope. And we began telling people what the needs are. And there were churches that said, what can we do? And sometimes they would make the visitation areas their project and they would collect games and, and coloring books and crayons. And there, there might be puzzle books that couples could do together at a table. And they, they would send them to us and we would distribute them to prisons or they would do that for a prison in their own area, their own state. That's fabulous. And isn't it incredible? Mm -hmm. and, and then as people heard about these inmates who have no support, they began giving to speak up for hope for the inmate care package project. And so twice a year with Jason as our man on the inside designating mm -hmm. which inmates need help, uh, with the help of Gene, making these orders on the internet through the approved vendor supplier for the Department of Corrections, we are able to send up to $100 worth of care package to inmates. And some of those things might include a pair of tennis shoes. Mm -hmm. And uh, it might be clean new t-shirts. Uh, it, it might be a food item they haven't had since they were on the outside. And you cannot believe the notes we get from these inmates who've said, I've never in my whole time of incarceration had anybody care like this. And we don't make the requirement be that they have to be a believer. We believe one of the most important things we can do is give to somebody who needs Jesus. Well, and yes. I mean, you, Carol, you're on the mission field. It's yeah. just a little bit different than another country, although exactly. it is a different country. You're... You are on the mission field, and Jason is is a missionary. 
It's, it's so exciting. Uh, we've been able to supply Jason with the workbooks to take between six and 700 inmates through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University course. And then just three years ago, the very first accredited Bible theological seminary began at the prison where Jason is. Oh and 52 men inmate men are enrolled in that program, learning how to be inmate pastors. And they in turn will be sent to prisons all over Florida. We have over 103,000 inmates in this state. The Department of Corrections is the third highest employer in the state, but this is for the purpose of starting inmate-led churches on these <laughs> in these prisons, and we just are expecting a revival to happen. So Speak Up for Hope has been able to supply some of the reference books and to help these men who need a little bit of assistance in their training program. And Jason came to us. He said, Mom and Dad, so many people, so many of these men want to be in the seminary. He said, I'm not going to take one of those places. I've been taught God's word since I could walk and, and be able to hear and breathe. And he said, I've received Christian education for my whole life, and I want to give my place to somebody else so they can have this wonderful education. And so it has been an incredible delight. And then, Colleen, Jason has just been, for this past year, president of Toastmasters on the Inside. They call it Gavel Club. And they critique each other's speeches and encourage each other to communicate well. And here I do the Speak Up Conference, where I train Christians in writing and speaking skills. And I thought, he's just a chip off the old block. He's training these men in communication skills, only in a different place than I am. That, that is isn't that exciting? so the Lord, yes, because you have a, a, a master's in um, speech education, don't you? Uh, my master's is in communication yes. arts and my, my undergrad is in speech education. Okay, so he has someone there. I mean, he's covering the world pretty much between you and your son. <laughs> <laughs> but it came in a way that you never, ever, ever, oh. ever expected. Talk to those people who are in the middle they don't see their purpose yet, but they have no clue where God is. I just want to say, don't give up on God. Sometimes we pray, and it seems like our prayers are not being answered. And I want you to know that after these almost 18 years of Jason's incarceration, I now realize that often God answers my prayers in a different way than I expected. Instead of getting the, the answer to my prayer, which was, Lord, please release Jason while he's still young enough to be able to have a life and be able to serve you outside of prison walls, I am learning to pray the hard prayer. And it's it, it could make me weep right now. And that hard prayer for me is, Lord, I long for my son's release, but thy will be done. And Lord, if you can use him in a greater way on the inside, training and equipping many inmates who will get out because they don't have life sentences, and if you can use him to mentor men who will never get out, who need hope, God, thy will be done. And that to this day is the hardest prayer that I lift up. And I want to tell anybody who's out there feeling hopeless, realize that God's work is not limited by how we think it should be done. Mm -hmm. 
He may have a surprising miracle for you that appears in a very different way than you've envisioned a positive result. And I love what, what Eric Little, the Olympian, said, circumstances may appear to wreck our lives and God's plans, but God is not helpless among the ruins. Don't give up. Oh, that is so incredible. And I would have to I want to go circle back to the hymns that you were talking about and also to the support um, that you were received and to what you just talked about with, Lord, I'm going to surrender surrender this. Because when Jonathan, who is disabled, so it's a different kind of prison, so to speak, yes. we would say, um, he ministers to me in ways that are shocking having gone through being assaulted and being made fun of and bullied and kicked and and made fun of he rides to school looking up hymns on yeah. his phone and so we sang come thou fount of every blessing turn my heart to sing thy grace streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise well, that was written by Robert Robertson, September 27th, 1735. And as the hymn goes down, it says, Now I lay down my Ebenezer, which is so unusual. And it's, it's meaning this strength that we will gain when we lay down whatever it is that we've been holding. Isn't that incredible? That is the secret. That's where the strength is. I call it the upside down nature of the cross. Yes. You know, out of our deepest grief can come our greatest joy. It can, but that's a choice. And I wanted to touch on that because you talked about the choices that you had to make. Um, and there were four very specific choices that you had to make from the beginning. And you've obviously integrated them into every part of your life. Well, one of those choices we all have to make in the middle of impossible circumstances is to choose life instead mm -hmm. of a kind of emotional death. And I remember baskets uh, of cards were coming to us after people began hearing about this. And, and I noticed that many of them were sympathy cards, the kind you get when somebody dies. And I remember throwing them up in the air saying, my son is not dead, he is alive. And then it hit me once again, someone else's son is dead. And people were having trouble finding lyrics that would work. And they don't <laughs> yeah, exactly they don't sell those a, at Hallmark. <laughs> yeah, they don't have a greeting card line for the parents of children who've been arrested for murders. <laughs> people were doing the best they could. And then I noticed that in, in that basket, I had a couple of shoebox greeting cards and they would say things like brain cells come and brain cells go, but fat cells live forever. <laughs> <laughs> just keep it covered with fat so it won't get scratched and those were from what I call my funny friend yep. and my dear friend knew how desperately I would need the life-giving power of humor like we talked about earlier Colleen mm -hmm. and uh, God just brought me to that place of saying Carol choose life and, and then scripture started coming to me, not scripture I was reading, because when you're in the middle of the crisis, often you're crying so hard you can't read the Bible, or your mind is so muddled, you'll read the same verse over and over again, and it doesn't make sense. So I encourage people to memorize scripture before the crisis so that can come to you in the middle of it. And John 10, 10, I am 
I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly ministered to me so powerfully in the middle of that important choice to choose life. Wow. You also had to choose to get going every day. Um, Some of the other choices were to face the reality of life rather than the illusion that Mm -hmm. you had had. And you talked about expectations, how, um, how, so many times we are, our expectations of life are run into, how do they move past that? I think one of the things that we need to come to grips with is once we are in the middle of what I call a new kind of normal, which is the book that follows when I lay my Isaac down, we, we have a very important choice to make. Will we choose to just quit being seen in public, to curl up, and and just to exit society and not be a part of what's going on? Or are are we going to choose to say, no, my life will never be the same again, and it will be far different than what my grand illusion was of it, but that doesn't mean it has to be a bad life. Mm -hmm. I have to admit that when the holidays come, Mm-hmm. And when I see happy families getting together with their relatives around their beautiful tables, I'm a little jealous because mm-hmm. I'm going to be spending Christmas at the prison with my my son. I'm going to be eating my Christmas dinner out of a vending machine. And I, I have those feelings of what I wish life would have been like. But then I have to say, Carol, where's the blessing? And on one of those Christmas afternoons at the prison, I I remember going into the ladies' room, and I was in a stall, and I heard a woman come in. I couldn't see her. I could hear her. She was sobbing. She was hyperventilating. Uh, She was cussing. She said, I hate this place. I hate these people. I think I'm having a nervous breakdown. Now, the old me would have come out of that stall. I would have quoted my five best verses on suffering. I would have prayed over and said, you'll be fine. But the new broken me was weeping before I left the stall. And that day, I put my arms around a complete stranger, and I did not quote my Bible verses. I did not say my prayer. I just wept with a stranger. And in that moment, I know our hearts were melded together. And I finally spoke up. I said, I know this pain. We were both weeping. I said, my boy's here. I'm so sorry about what's happened to your family. And Colleen, I'm learning that the old me would have preached a little sermonette. The old me would have said a quick prayer and said, you'll be, you'll just be fine. But the new me weeps with those who weep. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking God anymore for instant answers. I'm asking him p- to refine me in the middle of the journey and use me to minister to people in small ways and give them hope. And then in time, sometimes he opens the door for me to speak out loud about him. But often that isn't on the day of the first encounter. And I'm, I'm a firstborn of six preacher's kids. I'm from the buttonhole and for Jesus generation. <laughs> if I see somebody with a problem, I'd like to take them by the shoulders and say, look, friend, you have a problem. Pray this prayer and get with the program. Be well. And I am learning that does not work ever. <laughs> And that I need to be Jesus before I talk to people about Jesus. Well, I'm laughing so very hard because my daughter, who struggled so much um, growing up, said, you know, Mom, it's when you shut your mouth that I started to listen. (laughs) 
And I said, had I known it was that easy, I would have shut up a long time ago. But it was, that's so true. When we are quiet, we then don't interfere with what the Holy Spirit is doing. That's right. And we, we don't listen. Yes, we don't have to quote a ton of verses and say a bunch of prayers. We can hear their soul, connect with them again, and walk with them through it. Yes. Um, Carol, before, oh, there's so many more things we could talk about, but I've got to, I've got to start winding down. I have a question, though. Um, you quote Philip Yancey, who I just love, Philip, who said, the kind of faith God values seems to develop best when everything fuzzes over, when God stays silent and the fog rolls in. Speaking to those who are having the fog roll in, or maybe it has settled, like the San Francisco fog settles into the city. Um, and now that some of the fog is lifted, although it can return, can you speak to that, speak through that veil that they can't see right now? Well, I think it's a little bit like uh, the little girl whose kitty cat was run over in the driveway. And her mother was trying to console her. And she said, honey, just remember, Tabby's in heaven now. And that little girl put her hands on her hips and she said, but mom, I just don't understand it. What on earth does God want with a dead cat anyway? And I just <laughs> think we have to come to that place of saying, Lord, I don't get all of this, but I am going to purpose in my heart to be your representative, to be in love with you, to still put my hope and faith in a God who is good and is trustworthy. And Colleen, out of that depths of my pain, and I hope this will help those who are, are listening today, I began to listen to God in a new way. I would read a verse, I would read a, a passage or a chapter, and I wouldn't try to rush or try to make this like a, a speedway, how fast can I get through Genesis through Revelation? Uh, I, I would do just a verse or two at a time, and then I would try to listen to what God was speaking into my heart as a result of that scripture. And I began doing this on a very regular basis. And uh, I then began to realize this was helping me so much to verbalize on paper what I believed was his prayer over my life as a result of what I was learning through his word, that this whole past year, I've been writing a devotional called He Holds My Hand. And it's a page per day, 365 day devotional. And I, through this devotional, want to give people not only fresh hope for themselves based on scripture, but I want them to learn a new way to read and then respond to God's word. I want them to write out what do you what do you hear God saying to you specifically in the middle of your need today as a result of what he's teaching you through this truth. And I truly believe that practice will transform our thinking as we try to figure out how we can do something concrete and faith-filled in the middle of our messy lives. Yes, you chose instead of what I would say, looking out, you chose to look up and say, Lord, 
I don't get this, but you do. And you've started a foundation from that. You have ministered through your son behind doors that you would never get to. And I will also say I had the privilege of reading part of your book that's not out yet. I feel so special. You are one of the fortunate. (laughs) So excited. But I couldn't get through January without making a ton of notes. And so the one on interruptions where you said, learn to trust me by following my call. You have an agenda that seems right, and your natural inclination is to develop a strategy that seems practical, predictable, and timely. I so get that. (laughs) It's easier for you to trust me when everything makes sense and you can foresee a positive outcome. However, there are times when I will interrupt your carefully made plans and ask you to do something that makes no sense Always remember my great love for you and my desire to give you opportunities to minister to others along the way. Often the most important appointment in your day will come disguised as an unwanted disruption. Some people around you need to learn from you and I will bring others into your life to help you find renewed hope and fresh faith. Interruptions are often divine surprises. I love the way you put that. That will bless your life in unexpected ways. Keep following my call and you will be in for the adventure of a lifetime. How perfect is that for every day of the world? (laughs) (laughs) I think we need to keep that in mind every single day. That every interruption, the unwanted phone call, the person at your door is a possibility that God is going to surprise you with some new input, an opportunity to minister to someone else and to even be refreshed in the process of refreshing others. And it will be a part of his plan. And what's fun about it is that it's unexpected. And it isn't something that we have put on our to-do list for today. It isn't in our agenda, but it's responding to his agenda on each day of our lives. And that is transforming. That is transforming. Carol, thank you so much. Now, in the show notes, I'm going to put a place where people can write to Jason. Yes, he would love that. And is there any other need that perhaps we can support you in? Well, he would love to hear from you. Just remember, you can't put anything in the envelope except for up to 20 postage stamps. And that is a real help to him, and it can bless other men as well. You can't put more than 20, or your letter will be rejected. That's according to prison rules. Then if anyone is interested in helping with our ministry on the inside, they can go to speakupforhope.org, and you will see on that website all kinds of ministries we do. We fill boxes of hope for wives and moms of inmates. You can be part of the greeting card program where we send year old but brand new greeting cards to inmates so that they can send a real birthday card to their children, Christmas cards to their loved ones. And they can be a part of helping us uh, fill that prison library with great books and to help in the seminary program as well. So we welcome your support. Well, Carol, you have been an unbelievable support to each person, I'm sure, who watched this talk today or listened. And wherever you find yourself, please know that Carol understands, I understand, we want to reach into your life if you will allow us, and that will be an honor. 
And just believe that God is with you even if the fog is heavy and the day is long because he's going to use you in a way you cannot imagine. Carol, thank you so very much. You can find the show notes and referenced resources in the podcast description or on our website, reframingministries.com. If you were impacted by today's conversation, I would be so thankful if you rated and reviewed the podcast, shared it on your social media, or share it with some friends who you think would be touched. You can email me personally at reframingministries at insight.org. If you'd like to be updated on Reframing's activities and content, please feel free to subscribe on our website. Thank you again for joining us today at Reframing Ministries. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know in the comments on our website. Our desire is to provide biblical help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through unique and challenging segments in life. And in order to provide for more people, we love your support through prayer, sharing this content with friends, and partnered support. Reframing Ministries and Insight for Living Ministries operate entirely and only on your generous gifts and donations. You can partner with us and donate to Reframing Ministries through our website. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.